morning. God bless you. And enjoy this video. If you're glad for Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but there's something really important that barbershops and churches are beginning to share in common. Do any of you know why barber poles are red, white, and blue? I always thought it was just to be patriotic. I didn't know why they were red, white, and blue. And then I read an article that's a tradition not of the American flag, but of the origin of barbershops. Back in the 1800s, it goes back actually to the Middle Ages, when people were looking for barbers to perform medical procedures, including bloodletting. Some of you remember from history that the way that mankind treated disease, if something was wrong, they'd drain some blood out and hope you'd produce some good blood. Now, we know that that's not a very effective means to health, but it was common then, and the place to go was to the barber shop. You go to the barber shop and they provided medical care as well as trimming your hair. They went together. So what's the red, white, and blue? The red represented blood, the white represented bandages, and the blue represented blood vessels. And so it's more about hopefully it doesn't represent that today in the barber shop. According to the history website, barbers and surgeons were part of the same trade guild until 1745, and it wasn't until the 1800s that bloodletting was no longer practiced. Now, I'm gonna share with you what's happening in some barbershops, particularly in the black community, that I found really fascinating. But understand that people will go to great lengths to find hope and wholeness. People will go a long ways to go to a barbershop to squeeze out some blood so that you can be healthy is a step we don't take today, but people are willing to go a long ways 
and barber shops are starting to step up to meet the kind of need that emotionally and mentally people are expressing. It's called the Confess Project. Began in Little Rock, Arkansas to bring mental health care to black men through barber shops. This nonprofit is raising up barbers in the South and the Midwest to create a space where boys and men can talk about their feelings and what's going on in their lives. These barbers become mental health professionals, mental health advocates, I should say, directing them to mental health professionals. In 2020, this nonprofit expanded to 150 advocates across 14 states and has now partnered with Gillette to expand its reach. The whole goal they discovered is that when men and boys came into the barbershop, it just seemed like a safe place to be able to talk. And as they thought about what was being shared, why not take this opportunity to provide something in the and the black community that will help them get the help they need. There are other initiatives like that across the country that are beginning to rise up. One participant, Michael Brown, said, you're not just a barber, you're a marriage counselor and any number of things. If you have good information to give to the public, this is the perfect platform to do it. Brown cuts hair in a shop with a roster of loyal customers, and he says, African-American men, we don't tend to go to the doctor until our arm is all the way off on the floor. He wants to help men set up regular checkups. So they are finding these gathering places. And as I read that, I thought if there's any place under heaven that ought to be a confess project where people can share their needs and get help, how many of you would agree with me that ought to be the church? So why isn't it? It's because too often the church culture becomes more religious than it becomes relational. And we're about programming and performance rather than getting health and wholeness. And the church has got to recognize we're not putting on a performance for God or for anyone else. We're coming together as broken people to seek the face of God so that he can make us stronger and we can bless the lives of others. And I want this to be a place, don't you? A place where men, women, boys and girls find the help that they need in the midst of the crisis that they face. And if there ever was a time that we needed a Confess Project in the church, it's in this COVID crisis that we're currently enduring. The church should be a Confess Project. So this morning, we're going to go to James chapter 5, look at a single verse. The book of James has been called the gospel in shoe leather because James doesn't focus his energy on great theological treatises. He tries to tell us what the gospel looks like in everyday living. What does the gospel look like in the life of the church? Now, the reason I wanted to address this this morning is we're coming into the holiday season. And everyone at some level or another has a little more openness to the gospel than they might have at other times. There'll be presentations made. Thanksgiving is a wonderful time for us to talk about how thankful to God we are for how he has blessed us. But the, and Christmas time as we celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world. But in the midst of that celebration, how many of you know that sorrow and pain and sadness is also amplified? Come on, help me this morning. And if we're going to be the church, we need to be ready in this special time of celebration to be able to say to people, there's an answer, and here's what I know. Are you with me? Here's what I know. 
We can't help heal a broken world if we've not been made whole. Week after week, men and women come to church with the same burdens and the same problems that they had the week before, and they leave with the same burdens and the same problems. And my brothers, that ought not so to be. So instead of performing as the church, James tells us how to live out the life of the church. And I'm not trying to be a broken record, but you're going to see by the end of this why a healthy church has to have a safe place where people can talk about their lives. Somewhere. Out of the blue, two, three months ago, a retired pastor that I've known and respected for years called and said, and I don't know why he called me, we didn't have a real close relationship before. I respect him, great orator, great individual. And he said, I just was wondering if you'd be willing to have coffee with me. Sure. I'll have coffee with just about anybody. Hello? I mean, it's not like you're asking me to give you a loan. So we met for coffee, had a great conversation. And then we met the second time and he said this. Here's why I'm doing this. God laid this on my heart. All of my ministry career, I wished for a place where I could sit down with somebody and just be truthful about the demands and frustrations of ministry. And I want to be that place for you. Now, that was refreshing to me and healthy for me. And those conversations have been healthy. I haven't talked about any of you. (laughs) But there are those demands. We all have to, don't we need a place? And the church ought to be that place. And James tells us how to be that place. And so I want to challenge you this morning. That we want you in a small group that will develop a community that will allow us to share our needs. We used to do that with the old um, open mic prayer requests. People could stand up and say anything they wanted and we begin to pray. Why did we quit doing that? Because of the dysfunction that creates. I'll never forget a Sunday night service. A lady raised her hand and said, I want you to pray for my backslidden husband. He's mean as a devil and he needs Jesus in his life. And he's messing around and he's cheating. And she's going on a catalog of all of his sins as he walked in the back. I'll promise you he didn't meet Jesus that night. But she needed a place to be able to offload that in a community that would love her and pray with her. Is anyone hearing me this morning? We've got to have that. That place where you'll not be affirmed when you're wrong and you will be encouraged when you're broken. But a place where there is honest interaction. And James gives us the formula in chapter 5 verse 16 at the end of his book. Confess your faults one to another. And pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I felt like God let that expand in my spirit this week. And I want to share with you what I felt like he showed me in this context. 
to be a biblical confessed project. What would that require? That we have in the body of Christ this, number one, is authentic accountability. Authentic accountability. Confess your faults one to another. Now, this has been used as a verse to establish a priesthood where you go to a priest and confess your sins and find absolution. And that is not at all what's being described here. He doesn't say confess your sins to me or to Paul or to any of the apostles. He says there should be an environment where we confess our sins to one another. Now, how many of you know if you're going to confess where you struggle, it has to be a safe place for that to happen. You want to be sure you're not going to read about it on Facebook. Hello? I'll never forget one year at camp. I was there as a counselor. And if any of you ever attended the fireside service where you take a stick and throw it onto the fire and confess a sin, and it's supposed to burn it away. I mean, not that the fire does that, but it's an act, acting out of what you believe God's going to do. Have any of you ever been there? Three of us. How many do not know what I'm talking about? How many of you do not speak English? (laughs) I'm convinced that we need a translator up here on Sunday to speak your language. Well, that used to be a big deal. We did it when we were in Bible college. Give me, I, I asked God to help me, you know, and we'd throw that on there. And we were to go out to this big campfire, bonfire, without uh, any flashlights. So there was anonymity. And I'll never forget, as one boy steps forward, and he's in the dark, you can't see him. Now remember, the, they're staying in dorms and cabins. And he takes his stick and says... I struggle with homosexual attraction. As soon as he said that, four flashlights lit up his face. (laughs) Everybody wanted to know, is he in my dorm? How many know how devastating and crushing that moment was? Because he was asking for help and he got exposure rather than healing. That is not what I'm talking about. You'll never confess your struggle unless you know that it'll be kept in a context of accountability and by people who love you and care about you. And you can talk about the struggle that you're in and what you're going through. And that cannot happen on Sunday morning. That cannot happen in a large group Bible study. That can only happen in the context of authentic accountability when we're sharing our lives together. This is a vulnerable community. The word sin means a slip slide, a lapse, or a deviation, an error, a transgression, an offense, a trespass. Not confessing to one who listens, but confessing to one another. No one will find help unless there's a place where we're accountable to each other. Because accountable, listen, accountability is relational, it's horizontal not vertical. You're not going to confess to someone who's over you. You're going to confess to someone that's walking alongside you. Everyone in this room gets counseling. (laughs) Some of you just go to people who are unprepared. 
You go to a friend, the neighbor, talk to someone on the phone who often has no idea what they're talking about, and then who knows where that goes. We all get it. Why not get it in a biblical way in relationship to each other? Hierarchical accountability has its place. We need the accountability that's over us, but we also need accountability that isn't hierarchical, that is relational, that is sharing life together. We call it bearing one another's burdens. Confess your faults one to another. That's accountable, uh, authentic accountability. And then what do you do with that? You pray for one another. It's called spiritual interaction. So much of our interaction isn't spiritual. It is cultural. It's fellowship. It's community. But something happens when we pray for each other. Is there anybody in the house right now? I mean, I didn't intend for this to get this quiet. Something happens when we pray for each other. Not just confess, but praying for each other brings out of that accountability and interaction that's life-giving. It creates an atmosphere of love and support that we're standing with you, and now you're accountable for the problem you're dealing with, but you're also finding people who are going to pray with you and work with you through it. I found this on a website I just wanted to read to you. However, most of the prayers in the Bible are of this type. When Jesus was praying for others, what did he pray for? How do we pray for one another? He prayed for their faith. He prayed against temptation in their lives. He prayed for their unity. He prayed for their sanctification. Paul prayed for the salvation of the lost. He prayed that brothers would stay on the right path. He prayed that believers would be strengthened in the spirit, rooted and grounded in love, to comprehend God's love, filled with all the fullness of God. These are all prayers of spiritual blessings, all in Jesus' name. It's the kind of praying we do. And you know that something powerful happens when you share with someone I'm going through a struggle and they say I understand where you're at and they take your hand and they begin to pray with you right in that moment there's a link does anybody know what I'm talking about there's an intimate spiritual link that happens when we begin to share that need together before God I'm not talking about the kind of prayer that says oh God Bless this wretched brother and help him get over this terrible sin that's going to destroy him. Oh, God, I don't know how he lives from day to day. I'm talking about the kind of praying that God lift him up. Open the eyes of his understanding. Let him see the hope of his calling. God, broaden him. Give him the strength that he needs. It builds that kind of relationship when we actually pray for one another and hear one another pray. Paul modeled this. And do you know what, Jesus, how important this is? Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. This is so vital that it's not just left up to the church. Jesus is praying for you right now and praying that you will walk in all the fullness of God. And if he's interceding for us, don't you think we need an environment where we can pray for each other? We need that kind of place. It creates a deeper level of community, more than social or even relational. There's a unity that only happens when we pray for each other, a spiritual intimacy that develops. I uh, (laughs) uh, had a couple that came to me for counseling, and their marriage was in a really, really bad place. And I said to them, I want you to quit talking to each other because you're just poison. You're toxic. You're hurting each other. 
I want you to do one thing every day. I want you to just pray over each other and don't talk anymore. Let's build a spiritual platform to begin with. Let's try this for a couple of weeks. Later, they told me how that first time happened. He looked at his wife and said, you wanted this, you go first. <laughs> but when they began to build, it let us build some other things that were able to strengthen some interactions going on between them. When we were pastoring in Ames, my heart was to reach the campus community as well as the city that we live in. Ames is a unique city. It's not a city with a campus. It's a campus with a city around it. And there's a great need there to reach young people for the kingdom. Well, there had been some problems. And I'm just going to be transparent because you can look at the records and see how that worked. There had been some problems in the church before we got there. And the Chi Alpha group that had been centered in the church left and went to another church and slid a note under my door, I hadn't even gotten there yet, that said, we're not coming back here and we're going somewhere that appreciates us. And I don't know what that story was, but our students weren't welcome in their Chi Alpha group. And then there was another group from a guy that used to be a Summons of God that had another name. Ames Community Church was meeting on campus. So Chi Alpha had a leader. Ames Community Church had a leader. I wanted to reach the campus, so we started FACE and uh, First Assembly Campus Evangelism. So there are three groups on campus all trying to do the same thing that aren't going to reach anybody for the kingdom because they're so divided. If we can't get our act together, how are we going to reach the world? So I met with the leaders. We began to talk about that. We decided to talk together about making it one group with one leader. And the leader of the Calpha group, as we got together one night, I don't know if you've ever done this, but this is a scary thing to do. It was called the hot seat. How many of you ever sat in a prayer hot seat? Anybody ever sat in the hot seat? You put a chair in the middle. <laughs> how many aren't admitted to anything this morning? I don't even know what you're talking about. This is way too much for me. When do we get out? I want coffee. So you put a chair in the middle and everybody gathers around and you sit in the hot seat and you just tell what you need prayer for. So we're all gathered around and been sharing about the need for unity and praying for one another. And a couple of people got in and sat down and we prayed for them. And I'm leading this prayer time. And the Chi Alpha pastor then walks over and sits in the chair and... Um, and I knew he was carrying a load. So I said to him, uh, what is it we can pray with you about? He said, well, I feel like I've been betrayed. People have hurt me. I feel like someone's stabbing me in the back that I can't trust. I don't know why I asked this. Because normally I wouldn't. But I said, is it someone in here? Who is it? And he said, it's you. All right, this meeting's over. <laughs> so I knelt down beside him and said, brother, I want to repent to you that you would feel that at all because that is not in my heart. And whatever, you see, I could justify my behavior, but it wouldn't change it, would it? I said, I don't know what has caused you to feel this way. And I am so sorry, whatever I need to do for this to heal up so that we can all join together and the students are all standing around, leadership's all standing around like what in the world's happening here? 
and began to, I just began to pray for him and tears began to come down my face as I prayed for him and he began to pray and there was a healing moment there because something happens that can't happen any other way when we begin to pray for one another in an accountable, authentic relationship. Is anyone hearing me now? Things would happen if you get two people in a room and they had to pray till Jesus came by. Come on. Authentic accountability. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. Spiritually investing in one another. What will that produce? Third, that will produce personal wholeness. Confess your faults one another and pray for one another. Why? That you may be healed. It will bring personal wholeness. You say, well, what kind of healing is he talking about? Well, in the chapter, I don't think he's talking about physical healing because he's already addressed that. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church, pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. If any have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore... If any have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, I'm not suggesting that there is anyone that stands between God and us for healing. But I'm telling you, we'll never experience wholeness until we get authenticity in the body of Christ. A place where we can hold ourselves to truth. It means to cure, to make whole, to be free from errors and sins healed from the weaknesses that plague you. Do you know that wholeness is the will of God? (laughs) No, I didn't know that. (laughs) Rough crowd this morning. Wholeness is the will of God. Sickness is not the will of God. Disease is not the will of God. Division is not the will of God. Bitterness is not the will of God. Hatefulness is not the will of God. Meanness is not the will of God. Come on, how long do I have to do this before you join me? I'm saying to you that if those were the will of God, they'd happen in heaven. And I get that healing from physical infirmity may happen on the other side. But listen to me. When you're engaging in something that isn't the will of God, you're not whole. If you're carrying bitterness, you're not whole. Come on. If you're a troublemaker, you're not whole. If your marriage is struggling, you're not whole. Is there anyone in the house right now? I'm saying to you that we're to pray that God's kingdom would be done on earth as it is in heaven and that God's will is wholeness and when you're acting outside of what is biblically wholeness, you're in line with the enemy, not in line with the king of kings and lord of lords. When we're making accusation, when we're critical, when we have a bad spirit, we need to be in a place where someone holds us accountable, where we're praying for one another, and when that happens, when we confess and pray, we'll be healed and liberated from those chains that enslave us. (laughs) Wholeness is the goal. You don't have to live a life of bondage. You don't. 
But as long as you're sick on the inside and you're behaving on the outside like you're whole, you will rot from the inside out. And eventually it will be exposed. We need to have more than just an altar call and raise a hand. We need people walking alongside of us, investing in us, if we're ever going to find wholeness. So what am I talking about? I'm not done yet. I'm just saying, what am I talking about? I'm saying that's why community groups are so important to the next step of our development is you have to have a place where people around you care about you and invest in you and love you and a safe place for you to begin to interact. And that doesn't happen on week one, week two, week three, week four. That happens after you continue to meet with people for a period of time and build a place of accountability and safety and prayer that now we can stand together with one another. If I invited any one of you up here and said, is there any area of your life where you struggle? You would have to say yes, or I would know that you're a liar. Hold up your hand if you struggle with something. I struggle with raising my hand in church. (laughs) Makes me mad every time. Well, get over yourself. But if I said, I want you to come up here and tell us what it is. And we will all pray for you. There is nobody in their right mind that would do that. Are you kidding me? But if you could be in a context with three or four other people that you've met and got to know relationally and said, I need someone to pray for me and this is a safe place, you know what will happen out of that? That will grow into wholeness in that area where you struggle. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a place where you could go and get help rather than criticism and punishment? I'm not suggesting we have community groups that cover criminal activity. We will report you. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about struggles that you need someone to help you personal wholeness how are we to minister do you know how we're to minister we're to minister out of our own brokenness praise be to god the father of lord jesus christ the father of compassion the god of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles why so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from god you don't need comforted unless something is uncomfortable you don't need comfort unless you've been in trouble and so when you've been in a bad place and you're comforted that helps you not be so critical of people who are struggling, it makes you a counselor, a comforter for people who are struggling. One of the scriptures that recently has been burning into my heart has to do with Jesus and his post-resurrection appearances. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his scars, his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. When did they see the Lord and experience joy? 
after they saw his scars. They were in fear. He appears. Peace be to you. But then he shows the scars. Do you know what will give people peace? Is when you're in a safe place, in a relationship where there's authentic accountability, there's spiritual investment, and personal wholeness is developing because I can show you my scars. I've not been where you are, but I've been in a similar place, and this is how Jesus rescued me. Come on. That's where real ministry happens. Well, I'm perfect, and I've known Jesus since the day I was born, and I've never done anything wrong. Well, you're going straight to hell. (laughs) Hello? It's when we're honest about the struggles that we have. (laughs) Anyway, yes, we're done with that. Here's what that will produce, lastly, is supernatural impact. Supernatural impact will come out of a church where there's authentic accountability, spiritual investment, personal wholeness. Because what he says right after that, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails month or in the NIV, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. Now he's not showing here the accountability. He's showing the power there can be with prayer. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Not just because he prayed but because God spoke it and then he prayed the will of God into existence. But he's trying to say, look what powerful prayer can do. It can stop the rain. It can loose the rain. We can change the world if we get to a place of wholeness. We can change the world. Because prayer is powerful when it, becomes, when it comes from righteous men and women. Because the greatest thing that we can do, remember this, is whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. A healthy community will reach unhealthy people. Is there anyone in the house right now? And we don't get there. Listen, I believe in fasting. I believe in Bible reading. I believe in praying. But you can do that and not be in community. The only way for the church to be powerfully impacting its world is when we're in the relationship that God wants us to have. And that, I just, not pushing home groups, we'll have another term coming up. I've heard wonderful things from the community groups, but I'm saying to you, wherever that is, you have to have a safe place where people gather around you and love you and care for you and pour into you. And so often, so often, the church is a million miles from being that place. Do you know what I heard? Do you know what they did? My brothers, that ought not so to be. It ought to be a place where we're at. We don't overlook it. You know what accountability means? Accountability means? It means being in a strong enough relationship to say, what you just did was out of line. But you received that because we love each other and care for each other and we can build from there. And because you've probably told me before where I was out of line and it's not an argument or a fist fight, it's lovingly saying, let's get on a healthy place. That's where we need to be. There are other ways to do that other than community groups. 
but I'm t- I want you to hear the spirit of what's driving this. <laughs> We've got to be more than a spit shine polished Sunday morning gathering. We have to be a down and dirty body of people that are doing the hard work of the gospel in relationship to one another so that can we reach a lost and dying world. And so what I'm going to ask you to pray in just a moment is this, God, help me find that kind of community. And if you try a community group, it doesn't work. We do them six weeks. You can get into another one. They'll be coming up, I believe, in January, whenever they happen again. And those groups are going to build relationships. And it may be that that you find two or three guys or two or three ladies, and you don't, oh, this is so dangerous. Because we get together, and it's so easy for us to talk about how wrong everybody else is. Come on, are you hearing me? Come on, someone. I'm not talking about that. Talking about people who are sharing their lives together and praying for one another. There's no room for you to talk about somebody else. We confess our faults and we pray so we can be healed and pray effective prayers. Woo! That'll preach. I wish I'd thought of that. So let's stand together and say, God, help me find a way to be part of that kind of community and to give it a try. Heads bowed, eyes closed just for a moment. I feel like God's given me a word for somebody. You are terrified of letting someone else in your life and you have found safety in isolation and God would say to you that that place of safety is an empty, lying place that will destroy you. Move out of your fear move out of your self-preservation and be willing to risk relationship so that I can heal you and restore you and strengthen you and show you a place that you have only imagined when you walk with me. Let God speak to you this morning about stepping out of isolation in the community and learning how to love one another. Here I am waiting Abide in me, I pray Here I am longing For you, Jesus Breathe in me 
there have been colleagues who have wounded me deeply and I have a right to be mad about what they did I have a right what they did was wrong and what I was accused of was a lie I have a right to be angry but I know that will destroy me and I have to keep that forgiven how many are hearing what I'm saying and I have friends colleagues in ministry that I can talk to and say talk me through this you know what I don't need what I do not need and what none of you need I don't need some some superior arrogant attitude saying well you know that's wrong and it'll send you to hell I already know that I need someone who says brother let me walk with you through this and when it gets overwhelming call me are you hearing what I'm saying that's the kind of community we need to create. You're not excusing anybody's sin, but you're not condemning them either. You're going to be willing to walk with them till they get to wholeness. That's, if we can create that here, we will change our world. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And please don't send me an email that says, Pastor, we're praying to get over your bitterness because you'll be on my list. <laughs> no, I, it's all good. I'm just saying in those moments when it overwhelms, you need someone to walk alongside. Amen. God bless you. Sign up for the, the, the Guardian concert. Thank you for your financial giving. And let's determine that during this holiday season, Jesus truly will be Lord. Amen.